we have a new sponsor on the podcast, folks. It's Quant Wrestling. Super pleased to be working with these folks. They provide analytics on the sport of wrestling, something that's desperately needed in our great sport. Quant does this by tracking over 550 analytics throughout a match and can provide different outcomes such as how long between the time a guy shoots to when he finishes. How often does David Carr start a period on top and end a period on top? Quant can also predict with 82% accuracy match outcomes at the Division I level. You can see all this data in the Quant app, which is available in the Apple App Store as well as the Google Play Store. There are two versions of the app, the Division I app, where Quant is tracking all of their data points on Division I wrestlers on your behalf. Then they also have a youth and high school app where parents and wrestlers watch their matches and input the data into the Quant app, and Quant does all the analytics on the back end. The Quant Wrestling apps are available in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. That's Quant, Q-U-A-N-T, Q-U-A-N-T. The first two weeks are free, but if you use the discount code WCML, you'll get an additional two weeks for free. That's Quant Wrestling, a new sponsor here on Wrestling Changed My Life. Now let's get to the show. When you get to the Nationals, the skill sets are so close between the first and the 10th guy. They really are. He said, you know who's going to win? The person that thinks they can. The person that thinks they can. That's who's going to win. We can endure anything and adapt and pivot and change. Wrestling gave us that ability. I would say nothing in life has impacted me more than the things wrestling has taught me in terms of self-reflection, resilience. Toughness. Some guys have it, some guys don't. Adversity, 100%. How to pick myself up and be a man after I failed. And everything that has shaped my life and where I'm at today would not be there without the values and basically the the lessons I've learned through the sport of wrestling. For me, wrestling saved my life because it, it allowed me to focus and channel my energy. We're fortunate if you wrestled because if you wrestled, natural talent helps, but it's, it's 5% of the ingredient. It pales in comparison to heart and technique and effort. It humbled me, taught me humility. Nothing can hit, humble you more than wrestling. I think it's the learning to adapt, right? You learn, you learn how to adapt, you learn how to solve problems. You know, if I look back at my time, I spent wrestling. If it gave me one thing more than anything else, it's mental toughness. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. This is your host, Ryan Warner, coming to you from Chicago, I.L. Hope everyone had a great Christmas. Our guest today is a Lehigh wrestling legend, Mike Caruso, Mike lost just one match throughout high school and college and was a three-time NCAA champion. And he wrestled the same guy in the finals, Bob Fares, all three years. And keep in mind, folks, this was back in the 60s when you could only wrestle at the NCAA tournament three times. Mike is a living legend, and today the Lehigh Wrestling Complex is named in Mike's honor. But what Mike did after wrestling is probably even more impressive than his collegiate record. He went on to be the CEO of an insurance company and had an uber-successful business for 30, 35 years. So this episode is packed with wrestling stories as well as business advice, and I hope you enjoy it. Fan of the week goes to our friend Eric Mateo. 
Eric left a review on Apple Podcasts saying, Love the show. I love what this show is about. The sport of wrestling has done so much for so many people. I'd love to have some Missouri guys on this show. And as would we, Eric. If you have any recommendations on who from Missouri you'd like to have on, shoot us a message on Instagram at Wrestling Changed My Life. Last but not least, folks, this Wednesday and Thursday, you can watch the Midlands 2.0 on rockfin.com. Go to the Illinois Matman handle. That's the Illinois Matman channel on Rockfin to watch the Midlands 2.0. It's called the Matman Open, and uh, last week the Midlands canceled, and so Illinois Matman is picking up the slack and holding essentially the same tournament this Wednesday and Thursday. And that's it, folks. Let's give it up for Mike Caruso. Mike Caruso, welcome to the Wrestling Changed My Life podcast. An honor to have you, sir. Thank you. I am there's floored with topics to talk about. I am a sucker for hearing about the 50s and 60s. So I want to go back to Newark, New Jersey in the 50s. Tell me what it was like being raised in that time period in that location. What's well, interesting because, um, you know, your, your entire program is set around how wrestling changed my life. And it changed my life in a way I never expected. Um, I grew up in Center City, Newark, uh, a little towards the north side, and uh, was in a Catholic school in grade school. And my mother insisted uh, that I go to a Catholic high school. And they were building one three blocks away from where I lived, where I could just walk down the street. It never got built in time. And my mother insisted that I find another Catholic school. So I wound up going to St. Benedict's, which was one to two bus rides away. Long story short, Essex Catholic did not have wrestling at the time. St. Benedict's did. I knew nothing about wrestling. Wrestling, when I was growing up, was uh, Bruno San Martino on Channel 11, New York City. <laughs> uh, and we didn't even follow that. We knew it was fake. So I got down. I always loved sports. I loved playing sports. I loved being involved in them. But I was diminutive at the time. Um, entered the ninth grade. I was four foot 11 and 81 pounds. So I went out for cross country and just on, wasn't very fast, but on sheer determination, I made the team and I would finish up in the middle of the pack somewhere, you know. So then indoor track came, too small for basketball, too, loved baseball, but again, too small, much too small for football. I loved playing tag football. So I went out for indoor track and the coach pulled me to the side Chanley put his arm around me and said, Mike, I hate to tell you this. He said, you're too slow. <laughs> he said, you hung in there and cross country, but you're too slow for the shorter distances. I said, well, I want to do something. What are you doing at lunch today? Said, Having lunch. Meet me in the cafeteria. He takes me over, sits me down across from a man. Turns out to be the wrestling coach, John Allen, who is a famous Hall of Fame, New Jersey wrestling coach. He looks at me and he said, much do weigh? I said, 81 pounds. 
didn't say another word and looks back and says, 2.30 across the street in the casino, that's when practice starts. The casino was a little old building and uh, the wrestlers today would not understand the lack of any kind of uh, decent mats. It was an old building, half heated. Our mats were old mattresses that the mothers didn't want anymore and threw out and canvas put around them. <laughs> oh, one of the fun things guys wanted to do was take a guy and of course drive him into the mat. So he got a mat burn from the top of his forehead down his nose. Anyway, uh, I went over and uh, I just kind of took to it. I did kind of didn't even know what I was doing. Now we were fortunate in those days. I look back and everybody said, oh my God, you never lost the match in high school, even just starting your first year. In all fairness, in all fairness, um, there wasn't any feeder programs back then. Everything in the cities was basketball, basketball, basketball. So I was wrestling other freshmen who had no experience either. And that was kind of a, a benefit to me, I would say. So anyway, I just started and I remember the first match, had no idea what I was doing, got done. And they raised my hand. I said, what happened? They said, you won 5-4. <laughs> didn't, didn't even know what the points were hat. And um, long story short, I never lost a match in high school. So um, that summer, the coach said to me, if you really want to stay focused and do well, uh, you're going to need to put on some weight. And he had me drink milkshakes and run and, and run. He said, run every day, three, four, five, six miles. You're a cross country guy. And before and after drink a milkshake. And I actually put on about 15 pounds over the summer till the next year. And I was up in the 97, 98 pound class. Um, back then they didn't have a state championship category for 97, 98. So coach said, come on, we're going to take you to the New Jersey AAUs. And they had a 98-pound AAU freestyle. Again, not, wasn't quite sure what I was doing, but wound up winning that medal. Actually, I look right behind me, and I still have that medal. It was the wow. first one, one of the ones I kept. So I was so fortunate that fate had me wind up going to a school that had wrestling who knows where I would have been had I gone to the other school and uh, no idea. And I grew up in a pretty tough neighborhood. And I look back and I was so fortunate that wrestling took me out of that neighborhood. Um, I often say half facetiously, but half seriously, you know, guys I used to hang around with on the corner of Bloomfield Avenue. A couple of them are lawyers and doctors, and the rest of them are either in jail or dead. I mean, you wow. went one way or the other. You had to have a mentor and mentors, and wrestling provided me with my mentors. Incidentally, on the corner, I ran with, I'll tell you a quick story. Please. There was a queen, and we were kids. We used to go on Dairy Queen, and groups used to sing at the Dairy Queen. And Frankie Valley was one of the guys <laughs> singing when he was about 15, 16 years old. 
and I was maybe 10. So just anyway. Wow. So he got two. Anyway, go ahead. How involved were parents back then? Like once you started winning and wrestling, were they going all the time or were parents pretty far removed? <laughs> no, again, my parents and God bless them. I often say we were not wealthy financially, but I was wealthy with love and caring. But my parents were very old school. You know, you went and you did what you did on your own. And I, I told the story and I understand it completely. I came flying in the door uh, on a Saturday night yelling, you know, that I had won the state championship. And my father turned to me, said, excuse me, you're interrupting conversation. They got done with the conversation with their friends. They said, okay, now you can tell us. And I told them I won the state champ in wrestling. That's wonderful. And then they turned and started talking again. They cared very much about me, but I don't think they understood the, how magnanimous it was and what it was. They just understood this was something I like to do. And it's, it's nice, you know. It's too bad you weren't working after school, but if you want to do that, that's fine. It worked out in the long run because my father, school in the eighth grade, his mother had died. He had a father that was an alcoholic. He lived a very difficult life, uh, had a couple of heart attacks when he was younger, died at the age of 46. But my dad would always tell me, my kids need to get a college education. He was a smart man. He was intelligent. He had common sense. But he said, I've got to work two jobs because I don't have a college education. And I used to say to him, Dad, where are we going to get the money for me to college? He always said, you keep doing the work. God will provide. And uh, wrestling was what God provided. And my dad was right. And I didn't know how he was going to be right, but he turned out to be right. Yeah. It all works out like that eventually. And when did you start taking wrestling seriously? From the time, um, from the time I started with it, uh, I was always one to do something a hundred percent. And so I decided if I was going to wrestle, I was going to do it right. Now, again, we had a team, we were in the state prep school division. We weren't in the uh, uh, public school division but at the time I joined the team, they had won seven consecutive prep championships. St. Benedict's in the 50s and 60s was the Blair Academy. In fact, we, we used to beat Blair by 20, 30 points back then. Mm -hmm. Blair was the second best prep school. And uh, they were very, very good at the time. And so I thought, <laughs> you had to take it serious on that team. I mean, there were four or five, six uh, uh, multiple champions. One of the things our coach always said was, there's only so many good prep schools. We have to wrestle a really good high school. So we wrestled the hundred and centrals, Washington, you know, we went out uh, Cranford, we wrestled union. We wrestled uh, any school around us. That was, that was decent at all. First of all, there were no other wrestling schools in Newark. Every one of the matches, we drove 10, 15 miles, half an hour, 45 minutes. because There were no other schools in the city that wrestled. I think there were six public schools. None of them wrestled. Wow. So because everybody was pretty good, um, 
I, I actually was benefited from the fact that I think the next three weights above me all had won at least state prep titles, a couple of more national prep titles. And uh, just like when I went to Lehigh, um, I used to get beat up in the wrestling room. I, I say, you know what? Give, give me some sort of tournament or anything. It'll be like a day off because the guys in the room were so good. And so um, competition makes you. And so I, I had to be serious from the beginning. But we had a coach that practice was an hour and a half. And after that hour and a half, nobody left the room. You could. Three quarters of the people stayed another half an hour, another hour. Um, we actually had the headmaster come over a couple of times and say, we're getting calls from parents. You know, you're getting, these kids are getting home 730, 8 o'clock at night because they'd stay and wrestle for hours and hours and hours. We just wanted to be the best. And so um, I did go to a very, very good school and, and taught me the disciplines. And then I was so blessed to have gone to another school at Lehigh and have coach Jerry Lehman, who was maybe, uh, I think is as good a coach as I've ever, ever seen or met and uh, taught me some more. How different were the Lehigh practices compared to St. Benedict's? Well, the coaching method, methodology was very different. John Allen was a very good coach, but he taught technique. A lot of the kids were just in their first, second, third, fourth year. Okay, When you get to Lehigh, practices were very different because Coach Lehman was not, oh, he showed you a few holes. He showed you a little technique. But his coaching was motivation. His coaching was psychology. Um, I've told this story, and I don't know if you've ever read the book, Tough Street. Uh, fabulous, fabulous book. It's the biography of Jerry Lehman's life. And I was privileged to be asked to write the forward, but I've told this story in the book. I went up to Lehigh, and uh, how I got there is another very interesting story. But I went up to Lehigh, and I was there two or three weeks wrestling for the great Jerry Lehman. Never said two words to me. So... I asked if I could see him in his office. So I came in the office and he looks at me and says, shut the door. I thought, uh-oh, I'm a little trouble here. Yeah. He, I said, coach, I came to wrestle for you and really haven't said much to me. He said, now you listen and listen closely. And this stays in this room. He said, I got 40 guys up in that room. And he said, well, five of them have the talent that you do. The rest of them, I got to work day and night to make sure they get a little better. He said, you and a couple of the other guys, I got to stay away from so I don't ruin you. Now get out of here. He never said a word to that. But that was his psychology. He was so good at that. He was so good at, um, if you were, had difficulty getting out of the bottom, he'd put three guys on top of you fresh, one after the other. And he'd start, what's the matter? You'll never get out from the bottom. Jeez. You know, you might as well go home. You're not going to win anything. He would get you to, you were just going to show him how good you were. His practices were very simple. We used to wrestle three three-minute periods in college back then. He, all his practices were three five-minute periods. <laughs> and so you wrestle 15-minute matches. And his philosophy was, when you got into an actual match, it's going to seem like a breeze going to seem easy. And if you were pretty good and you weren't blowing too much wind in those five, five, fives, 
he put a different guy in with you for each of the periods, fresh. So he pushed you and pushed you and pushed you. We didn't do the running or lifting they do today. We did. I remember once guys said, Coach, are we going to run a lot? He said, if you want to run, he said, you go out for the track team. This is a wrestling team. We're going to wrestle here. And so pretty much his philosophy was wrestle, 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 and wrestle good. So I had Rich Warnicky underneath me who lost in two overtimes and finished fourth in the nationals when I was a sophomore. I had Joe Peratori who lost twice in the Fonzo Nationals to Jerry Otaki, the best wrestler in the world at the time. I had Billy Stewart a weight above him who was a national champion. And I said before, I used to say, you know, get me to a dual meet so I could have a break. Tell me the story about getting to Lehigh. Getting to Lehigh. Somehow, and we'll never find out why there was a misconception that I guess at some point in time, my high school coach talked to Coach Wayman about me, and somehow Lehman got the word that I wasn't interested in Lehigh. And so I was always wondering why Lehigh never contacted me where a dozen other schools had contacted me. I had all kinds of offers, scholarships, and um, the Naval Academy had Perry at the time was coaching Naval Academy, had me down for a weekend. And, uh, and uh, another very unique situation occurred, coincidence. I roomed with Bob Fares. No, you didn't. I was going to say, tell me you didn't room with him on that trip. because Bob and I roomed together. Oh, my God. We're going to get into that whole thing. Yeah, we worked out a little bit. So we were both looking to go to the Naval Academy. Well, he got us up at 5.30 in the morning like they do with the plebes. And he and I looked at each other and said, enough for the Naval Academy. So I watched the tournament and uh, I walked by again. There's so many coincidences and accidents in life that have your fate. And I walked by Jerry Lehman. I said, hello, coach. And he looked, stopped a second. He said, Mike Caruso. I said, yeah. He said, yeah. He said, too bad you weren't interested in Lehigh. I said, what? I said, Lehigh wasn't interested in me. I said, I'm very interested in Lehigh. And he said, I'll call you Monday morning. And that's how it started. So he called me Monday. I, I just said from that moment on, I watched Lehigh actually lost the tournament that weekend to Navy, but they had a couple of champions and Kirk Pendleton was one. He went on to win the nationals, a couple other champions, and they really carried themselves well. And um, I just had a lot of respect for them. I wrestled in the prep tournament twice, one both times and liked the campus. I liked Going over, I mean, watching wrestling in Grace Hall, we used to get, we were a really good high school team. We get 200 people to come to our matches, 200. Okay? I mean, and then you go up to Lehigh and they 3,200. And you can barely hear when a guy's out of the mat. And I said, what an environment to wrestle in. This is, this is where I'd like to go. But we weren't supposedly weren't interested. But once I, that Monday, I, it was pretty late, but I got my application in. And again, the story in the book, which is true, is I started to call the admissions department. Um, I was still anal back in those days. Some people think I still am. Uh, fastidious, they call me. 
But anyway, I started calling every day. And I said, would you look at my application? No, Mike, we'll look at it. I said, well, you know, I need, I need financial aid, but did you look at it? I, finally, the admissions director called Coach Fleeman and he said, you know what? This guy's on the border grade-wise. We're going to let him in, he said, because he's a pain in the neck. He said, if, if he's as determined in wrestling as he is to get into Lehigh, he said he's going to be a good wrestler. So uh, I told him, I said, yeah, I'm on the border, but I said, I guarantee you, I will graduate. I will graduate with good grades. And I guarantee you, I'll make Lehigh proud both on and off the wrestling match. And so the admissions director said, all right, we're sold. You know, if you're in. So I came in, got a financial aid package. And uh, the rest is history. So, what does that internal drive come from for you? I think it came from the work ethic of my family. Um, I still, my mother passed away last year at the age of 101. She worked till she was 85. She lived with her sister, who's 93 now, who's a nurse, who still works. I have an uncle that's 86, who's a doctor and still works full time. Um, We came from a family where most of the men had two jobs. They worked weekends, nights. And um, I also think, in all fairness, uh, because of my size, I think when I was younger, I had a little bit of a little man's complex and I was going to show the world that I was a big man and I didn't have many places to do it. And uh, Billy Sheridan always said, wrestling is the one place where no matter what your size is, you could throw your hat in the ring. Doesn't matter how big or how small you are. And uh, Coach Lehman (laughs) used to always say, you don't have to have a glandular problem to play our sport. (laughs) so i think it was my opportunity to show the world that i could accomplish something and you know that one of the things that's so wonderful about wrestling is that you could take those skills you learned the disciplines you learned and you could use them later on in life and if you take them and apply them I mean, if you look at my wrestling team at Lehigh, uh, we couldn't wrestle as freshmen. We were in the nationals. We were third, fourth, and seventh in the NCAAs. This is a small private school with 5,500 undergraduates today, back then 3,500. And yet on that team, I was fairly successful in my business. The next person was Joe Peratori, went on to become vice president of Boeing Aircraft. The next person was Billy Stewart, national champion, who became a very well-known physician. And the next person was forwarded to his Elliot Tepper, who actually became a a minister and uh, traveled the world as a minister. The next way was Glenn Amsbaugh, who was a a surgeon in New York. And I can go on. Uh, Joe Caprio was an, an attorney. Bobby Hartenstein got his master's degrees and, and, and ran a building operation from one of, the, one of the largest builders in the country. Every single one went out into the world and was successful. And every single one of them you talk to will say, I credit wrestling for so much of my lifetime success. So um, what parts of it particularly transferred over to your insurance career? It's a discipline. The, the, for 30, 35, 40 years, I was in at seven o'clock 
home seven, eight, nine at night, work Saturdays, work Sundays, read. Uh, uh, just, you know, to me, it was like going out on the mat, going out on the mat. And when you had to go out and acquire new accounts and large accounts, I was afraid we'd, we'd go tackle any account. We'd go up, we had a firm, eight, nine employees. We'd go up against Aon and the large national firms and, and we'd win the business. Uh, we'd win the business against some big firms because uh, I was always taught there's nobody big enough you can't beat. You know, there's nobody good enough you can't beat. And so a lot of this, so much of it is mine. Lehman, and, and again, I transfer these things over in life, but Lehman always taught us when you get to the nationals, the skill sets are so close between the first and the 10th guy. They really are. He said, you know who's going to win? The person that thinks they can. The person that thinks they can. That's who's going to win. And it was no different in the business world. You know, you had to walk into that big building. wouldn't scare you. You were going to go in. You were going to talk to the person at the top. You're going to know your business just like you knew your holes. You were, you were trained properly in wrestling. You trained properly in the business world. And, you know, I see these T-shirts, losing isn't an option. It was the same way. It wasn't an option. We were going to get the business. And so same thing even starting. I, I needed to borrow $5,000 to set up my own operation. And I went, this was 1971, 72. Was a lot of money back then. And um, I went to five, six banks, and they all turned me down. I kept going. And the seven banks said, we'll give you 10. We'll give you 15. And I did business with that bank for decades because they supported me. But I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't going to give up. I wasn't going to quit. Well, you know where that comes from. Absolutely. I mean, I'm getting excited just listening to this story. What hesitations did you have about starting your own business? I didn't have any. I always wanted to be in business for myself. Uh, I did coach for a couple of years when I got out of Lehigh. I coached at uh, University of Virginia for a year. It was my first job as head coach. And then uh, Coach Lehman said, come back to Lehigh. Be my assistant for a couple of years and you could take over. And it was during that time that I came to the realization that my future was not going to be in coaching. You have to, I admire coaches so much because you have to, it can't be about you. Mm -hmm. You can't compete. Your charges compete. You have to take that step back. And I still had the desire to compete. So I thought, can't compete with your own kids. So I better find something else. So I actually resigned from my position at Lehigh, which surprised a few people and Went out into the sales world because I had no money. I actually sold for a company for a couple of years just to get some capital to try to open my own firm. But I always wanted to be in my own business. And I, I think it was because as a kid, my dad tried a business. He had a little store, a little grocery store in the corner. And it failed because he was too nice a guy. He used to give credit to everybody. Back in those days when our credit cards he had a paper bag and you came in and bought something. It was $2. They put $2 on the back of the paper bag and you came in and gave him a buck when you had it. Well, 
unfortunately, some of the people in the neighborhood never came back and paid their bills. And it always hurt me because I think it hurt my father so much that he failed in that aspect, trying to be a nice guy. And I thought to myself, I think I thought, I'm going to go out and I'm going to start a business. And I'm not going to let it fail in his honor. And so I think that was a part of it. But um, I, I, still, uh, I still feel that the lessons you learn in wrestling are so transferable, more than lessons you learn in any other sport, because it's one-on-one. In wrestling, you can say, well, the guy didn't block for me, or he didn't pass me the ball. You know? Mm-hmm. Off the mat. It's yours to win or yours to lose. Yeah, and I want to go back to your dad's business feeling because uh, I'm curious your perspective on this. So when when the when the grocery store failed, it probably crushed him, and he like it was never you know kind of it, it was part of him that was dying when the store closed. But for you, knowing that wrestling, you deal with defeat all the time. If your first business would have failed, would you have come back even stronger, or would you have been would you have quit? Well, I, I again, I it's hard for me to say because I would never imagine it failing. It, when I started, it was how successful will it be? Will it be here or will it be here? <laughs> I love that. It's so, so much well, confidence. But that's, you have to feel that way and not a false confidence. Anybody could say, oh, I'm going to go out and have a successful business. And then they go out to a bar and drink beer all afternoon or they go play cards or something. You have to say, I'm going to succeed. Here's the game plan and here's what I have to do and I'm going to do it. There's a big difference. You know, a lot of people think fate just comes along and you can do nothing. I believe in controlled fate. You work hard and your fate comes along, but you just don't sit back. So I, I'm, I, I'm not coming. I hope I don't come across. Hockey, oh. it just is an internal feeling that I have that. And I think I got a lot of it from, you have to remember, I wrestled on two teams and they were both highly successful. So I was surrounded by successful people all the time. I wasn't exposed to a lot of failure. Yeah. You know, and the guys you were around were like great leaders of men. And uh, you, you were, yeah. you, you were around these mentors and, you know, I'm in a, my career outside of the podcast is software sales and thought I was going to go to law school, had at okay grades, didn't do well on the test. And a mentor says, Hey, forget about it. Go into sales. And it was the best decision I ever made because, you know, when you're wrestling, everyone's trying to be like really, really good. Yeah. You know, everyone's trying to be a, a state champ, but in business, only about 10% of the people actually think about business as a sport. And so you can really jump levels quickly. If you apply that wrestler mentality and sales is like, just, it's the best, best job for a wrestler because it's so individual and it's so work slash output based, you know? Besides wrestling, we have something else in common because from the time I was a little kid, I wanted to be an attorney and my mom wanted me to be, my father wanted me to be, and I was um, freshman year at Lehigh getting on the bus to go to Cornell for my first wrestling match. We wrestled freshman match and varsity at the time. So I was getting on bus they pulled me off long story short my father died that day so I didn't go to the match had to go back well, once that happened law school was off the table I'll tell you another thing right oh so much to wrestling and coach Lehman um, my mom had not been working at the time back in those days 
woman stayed home. She worked a 12-hour day, but she made clothes, cooked, clean house, did all the things that you had to do to be um, a housekeeper. And uh, my mom had to go out and get a job. She didn't know what to do. She actually went to night school um, for a few months and became a beautician, hairdresser. Well, I came in and I talked to Coach Lehman. I said, Coach, I may have to quit school. I think younger brother, younger sister, my mom's not working. I'll tell you what. Once again, he gave me holy hell. He said, don't you dare, don't you dare think about quitting school. He said, if you quit school and ruin your father's dream, he would have died in vain. He said, you owe this to your father. Once more, his psychology was broken. Wow. He said, you owe this to your father. And from that moment on, I thought, okay. You know, he said, I'll get you a job in the summer. I'll get you jobs. So I actually worked during the school year. In the summers, he got me a job working at Bethlehem Steel. I was making I was making as much money a week as my father was making when he died. I was getting union wages back in 19, you know, this is 1964, 65. I was making like, like $364 an hour. It was huge back then. Huge. And so I made enough. I actually could send money home. And but he stepped in, and who knows again where I'd have been if I'd have quit. Wow. That's the only time in my life I ever thought of quitting anything. It wasn't really quitting, it was trying to go and help my family. And he said, You're not gonna help your family. What are you gonna help them for a year? He said, You get a college degree, that'll help your family. And he was right. I mean, losing a father at any age is life life changing. But back then, you think about, as you said, your mom wasn't working. So it must have been like a monumental shift in your whole family's life from that day forward. Yeah, it had to be. She had to go to night school. And then and she came out, same thing. She came out, started a little hairdressing business, did weekends in the basement of our apartment. And, um, you know, she she, again, was a role model to work. Mm -hmm. But uh it, it's 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 amazing how those small little crises in your life all go back to the discipline of wrestling. And uh, I, I shudder to think what would have happened if I didn't have a coach that was firm like that and was a mentor to me, it took over for my father, you know, and, and really was like a dad to me. And, you know, to the day he died, I used to call him. You know, he, he lived in Iowa and then he lived in Florida when he retired. We used to call and talk. He was always a mentor to me. Mm -hmm. Wow. That is, that's a powerful story. And it just shows you that, you know, it's, it's these little conversations and the, the people you surround yourself with are so important in life. Um, we're going to go back to your wrestling career and talk about Bob Fairs and all that stuff. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not equally as interested in business as wrestling, but I do love like personal development and guys who are just and girls who are just all about it, all about their profession. They're obsessed. So you mentioned earlier your daily routine when you were owning your own business was 7 a.m. And then you might work seven hours or 12 hours, 13, 14 hour days. What were some of the things you did every day that you think helped help get you an edge in business? Well, um, one of the things is I uh, and some people may get a kick out of this because I'm actually at a lower weight now than I was off season when I rest. <laughs> I'm 23, 
but I was probably 140, a little over that off season. Now I'm about 136 now. Um, I still, I'm 75 years old. I still work, walk five miles every day. And back then, before I went into work, I used to get up 536 and I used to walk, not five, I used to walk a couple miles. And I think you have to get exercise. I lost it for a while. And at one point in time, my weight was up like 150, 155, 160. And I was about 40 years old. And I said, you know what? This isn't going to work. And I started changing my diet, started changing my regime, started trying to get off a little earlier, and especially on the weekends, and walk quite a bit, walk with my wife, walk myself, bought a, bought a treadmill, you know, uh, for the days of rain. So uh, I think that was one. The other thing, too, is I think it was important for me to be in before the employees got in and to stay there till after they leave. So our employees pretty much work from eight, you know, till five. And I was always in at seven. I had one a woman that worked with me for actually still those books for me and has been with me 50 years. <laughs> Part time. Years ago, it still does checks and books for me. She used to come in about 7.30. I'd be in at 7. She'd come in at 7.30, and everybody else come in at, at 8. And everybody would leave between 4.30 and 5. I'd still be there or go meet somebody or have an evening dinner with, with the clients. So, again, it was the discipline. And what I learned is that midway through that career, around 40-ish, early in it, I learned if you're not physically fit, you're not going to be mentally fit. So again, you look like you keep yourself physically fit. I think they go together. So that was one. And the other thing I believe in is you hire good people and you don't micromanage them. And that's what I did. Our people came, you know, here's your job. You do somebody come in, try to sell a software and they come try to have a meeting with me. I said, oh, meet with me. Meet with the person that uses it. Well, don't you want to make the decision? No, I don't use it. They'll make the decision and I'll support whatever they make. So you don't micromanage people. And if you don't, you get good people. You allow them to be part of it. And you allow them to share in the bounties of whatever we made. We had a very high cash bonus system. And at the end of the year, everybody shared it and they knew it. So people worked hard. But the last thing is if you're not... If you're not having fun, you can't be real successful more car. You got to truly enjoy, <coughs> excuse me, what you're doing. And we used to have some fun. You know, we'd come in, we'd work hard. Mid-afternoon, now I'd come out and tell everybody, hey, everybody, put your pens down, put your computers down. Let's come out and let's talk a little bit. We'd take two or three minutes and just talk. That's all. And then we'd go back in. How was your weekend? So I think uh, it became a family. We had a long time. I tell you, Diane was with me 40 plus years, retired and still helps me. We had another woman. Uh, she's gone on with the firm because I eventually sold it to its now truest bank. She's been there 38 years. We have people with longevity. Mm -hmm. And that means that they enjoyed it. So you have to have some fun. I, I remember I headed the search committee when we hired Greg Strobel and we looked at a lot of different resumes. We talked to a lot of different coaches 
And we came in, we, I said then, Greg, what are you going to do to make Lehigh win that other coaches won't do? He said, well, I'm going to make sure they have fun. So somebody else on the search committee said, wait a minute, we're talking about winning wrestling, not having fun. And he looked at us and said, if you're not having fun, you're not going to win. And I just turned, I said, I think we got our coach. Wow. And you do, you have to enjoy what you're doing or you're not going to be successful in it. I guarantee you enjoy the software business. Otherwise you couldn't be successful in it. Mm-hmm. So that was a large part of it. I truly enjoy learning more and more about the business. I gravitated eventually into employee benefits and that's where we really, we made our mark. Um, I like the fact that mostly healthcare plans and I like the fact that we could help people. Healthcare is something everyone needs, mm-hmm. everyone have, every firm has. And so therefore, it was something that I felt, besides making a very good living, that I could go in and I could help people make good quality decisions. And to this day, people say, well, you know, you're kind of retired now. And what do you, what do you want to do? I said, well, I'm semi-retired. But what I really want to do is try to grow a little bit every day, personally, every day. I said, and how do you do that? Well, you read a little, you talk to people. Talk Here to we people. go. We're talking. And that's how you grow and be involved. I'm involved in quite a few nonprofits. I'm proud that I'm vice chair of the board of the Lehigh Valley Wrestling Club. We just hired Kerry McCoy, and uh, he's doing a fantastic job for us. Congratulations. And, uh, yeah, it was a very, very good hire for us. And um, and that's the kind of thing I enjoy. It's This is part of the, it, it. People say it's giving back, but it is. But it's just enjoyment, too, you know? Yeah. Well, and one thing that must be clear from looking at your career is that you're a master of relationship building and nurturing. And maybe it's something you don't even think about, but to build the business you have and have the relationships you do, it's, you know, consistently building those and putting the time in. So if you had to share any advice out there for folks who are in the relationship business, which we all are, what have been some keys there? Well, a lot of people think relationships are over. I hear young people say that, and I totally disagree with them. I've had my best friends today were friends I made through my business because we got to know them. And I tell young people two or three things. People want to do business not the best price. Some, some people know the price of everything and the value of nothing. People want to do business with people they like and people they trust. And if they have to pick one of the two, they'll pick the second one. But I'd say to people, always, always, always do the right thing. Because a reputation, once tainted, can never be brought back. So always do the right thing. Always do the right thing. That's number one. Number two, treat people the way you want to be treated. I treasure relationships. I treasure friendships. These are so valuable. And the older I get, the more valuable they are. Always, always, always treat people the way you would like them to treat you. It's that simple. And then finally, have, have values and keep to those values. When I had younger people take over made Joe Leonard the president about 10 years ago, the firm, and I was just going to be chairman of the board. Watching. I said, you could run this with your personality, run it totally different than me if you want, but don't ever lose our core values. 
once you have core values, maintain those. They may exhibit themselves differently, but always maintain your core values, not just in business, in your life. Yeah. And if you keep those values and you, you're going to live a very content life, I, I couldn't be more pleased. I've lived a storybook life. It's like a fairy tale. It continues to be that. And I look back and I credit people say to me, how come you do so much for wrestling? And I say, you know what? I don't do enough for wrestling compared to what wrestling's done for me. Wow. Anybody who ever wrestled, we're all brothers. And you know what I'm talking about. Oh yeah. No question about it. And it's, you get around those people, you start, you just get like a certain energy, you know, and you, you kind of want to throw a little Russian arm on them, see if they still got it. And next thing you know, you're wrestling someone in a hotel lobby that you haven't seen in five years. And that's, that's the beauty of it. I got to go back to one other thing you said about your, uh, your business career. Then we'll shift. We'll wrap up with wrestling, but you said sure. you would walk daily, you know, three, four, five miles. What would you think about when you were walking? Were you a big planner of the day and visuals? Yeah. Yes. Or, at the end of the day, whenever I could get it in, and sometimes I'd have to break it up a mile here, a mile there. But you know what I've learned, and I still do it, uh, is it, it gives you time to clear your mind. We're, we're bombarded today with media, you know, everywhere we turn, there's news, there's internet, there's television, you're getting text. And when I get out now, I just take a little walk, you know, in, into woods and into park or in a, in a nice quiet area. And it's amazing where your mind goes. And back then, it's amazing the concepts you come up with. I had my best ideas, best ideas when I was walking. If you ask the people who are Fortune 500 CEOs, I read this one time, 80% of them said they got their lifetime idea, the idea that changed their life when they were either on vacation or sitting in an airport or taking a walk, that's when they got their idea, when they were away from the everyday business. And so, yes, I would. It was a time to think, and it's still a time to think. Yeah, so valuable. And it's just, you don't feel clear and free about your day unless you get that time to do it. And that was like almost like a meditation for you, it sounds like, yeah. in a way. Wow, awesome stuff. All right, we got we to gotta hit this one. The name Bob Fares and you are, are forever tied in wrestling history. It actually started, though, in high school at the National Preps. He was OW. You were second in the OW voting. Tell me about your uh, your perception of Bob Fares before you guys got to the NCAA ranks. Well, he was always a weight up for me. Every time he would win, I'd win, but he'd move up. I'd move up. It's always a little weight up. And my senior year, my goal, my senior year, was to pin every wrestler I wrestled, pin everybody in the tournaments, and win the OW in both tournaments. Uh, I pinned 22 out of 25 people my senior year, pinned all four in the state tournament, went, pinned the first three in the prep tournament, and then the fourth one was actually a teammate of Bob's, and I beat him 6 nothing. He didn't do very much, so it was just kind of a... a a pedestrian match. Bob had a real good final bout against a guy who I think was defending champion. And I was told I lost the OW by two votes. And my prophetic coach at the time said, who knows, maybe God has something better in store for you someday. Don't be disappointed. 
which never forget. And so when we were sophomores, National Draft, I ran into him and uh, we were always friendly. And uh, I said to him, Oh, you look a little thin. You're wrestling 115. He said, no, are you? I said, no, 23. We looked at each other and smiled. And long story short, we had three straight matches like that. And uh, I think Bob was the most competitive quality guy we had. There's been stories written about our 50-year friendship. Um, I called him about a month and a half ago. Every couple of months we talk. He said, maybe I'll come up this winter for a Lehigh match. He actually came up when they dedicated the Caruso Wrestling Complex. Yeah. And his comment to everyone was, uh, I, Mike took me. I was the first guy Mike took for a tour of the complex. He said, well, I should be. He said, without me, they wouldn't be naming this for him. That's <laughs> a humor. Um, Bob, Bob Fair's shows that wrestling is more than a, than a nine-minute match. Bob showed what wrestling had become. And someone else who lost, you know, Bob only lost four matches in his entire career, three of them in the finals. Somebody else could have taken that and just failed and used it. Not him. He went on, coached in college, coached national champ, coached the Shear brothers, um, went on after that, got his doctorate, went back to Milton Hershey, became superintendent of schools and had a brilliant career. And I, I admire him so much. And uh, the friendship is a much bigger story than the three titles. Yeah. And it's, it's um, just from the pictures I saw, obviously it looked like you guys had developed a, a friendship over the years and, that, and that's the case. And, you know, for folks who maybe aren't as familiar with the stories you mentioned back in, in your era, freshmen weren't allowed to compete, obviously. So your first, your first year at the big dance is your sophomore year. You beat Bob junior year. You beat him in the finals senior year. He's up at one thirty all year and this maniac cuts down and he says he couldn't live with himself. He didn't, if he didn't give it one last chance. And I got chills reading that because this is a guy who could have won it at his weight and he cuts down and uh, tell us about that last bout your senior year. Well, it was much closer than the first two. It was, and I started out four nothing right ahead. I wrote him out the first period and then I don't even know what happened, but it, it just, I guess the pressures, my senior year, I loved wrestling. My senior year, I loved it a little less than both years because the pressure really started to mount. Lehigh had never had a three-time champion. And it was one of those things where if I beat somebody 12 nothing, they'd say, well, why didn't you pin them? If I beat them, you know, whatever it was, it, it was always had to be better and better. So I think it just, it's like in the middle of that match, I hit a wall. And, and then uh, he actually went ahead with about 30 seconds to go. And I can remember him trying to ride me out, had me tied up. And I remember thinking the next 30 seconds, this quickly, the idea came to my head. The next 30 seconds will determine the rest of your life. And I said, you're going to have one shot to get out. And I just mounted up all the energy I could and blasted out. And got out with a few seconds to go. We were 6'6". And at that time, they didn't keep writing time in front of everybody. So you didn't even know if you had it. And they came over and raised my arm. So, and this is a true story. I'll tell it. Um, that was the first year they had the East-West meet. Uh, two weeks later, they asked me, 
would you captain the East team? And first thing I asked is, is Bob going? They said, no, we can only have one person at each weight. I said, well, if Bob doesn't wrestle, I'm not wrestling. Let him. And the coaches talked a little bit. And they came back. They said, would you want to move up to 130 and we'll let Bob wrestle? He said, you got a deal, except you got to make both of us co-captains. <laughs> so I in the East team. Rick Sanders was two-time national champion. He tied Rick Sanders. And then uh, I won at 130. And then we had, uh, I just read this last week where Curly Culp died. Yeah. I remember. Yeah. Oh. Arizona guy, right? Arizona State. And he was a all-pro football player and national champion. Pinned everybody his senior year. And um, he was beating uh, Dave Porter by four points. And Dave rolled him, put him on his back and pinned him. And we won the East one, 1917. Wow. And, and so it was such a, a, a great, great night. So, um, yeah, and as I said, I get to see Bob and we talk at least two or three times a year. He only lives about an hour and a half away from me and uh, in the middle of Pennsylvania, right by Milton Hershey. Wow. So it's, it's a great story. And as I said, relationships, you mentioned it before, they're everything in life. And the older you get, the more valuable they are. Yeah. No, it's so true. And uh, just the fact that you guys have been friends for all these years just speaks to the bond of wrestling. And this is the, we got a little time. I got like five minutes, but I, I guess got to ask you about this. I had read a, almost a heroic tale of sorts of uh, when Lehigh wrestled Navy and it was like 4,000 people. And uh, I mean, and you talked earlier about Grace Hall and I know you named a horse after, after Grace Hall, which is just amazing. But I mean, tell us about, I don't know if that Navy duel sticks out to you, but if not, like just what it was like wrestling a duel meet there back in those days. Well, it really sticks out because that night um, we got, were told early in the week that um, I think it was ABC nightly news or NBC nightly news wanted to come and do a little story. And they said a guy named Haywood Hale Broon was a famous announcer back then of all sports. And he was on the evening news. So they came and they actually did a, did a little story. And that Saturday night, all over the country, they had a little clip about Lehigh. And actually, my uncle called me the next day. He's, oh, my God. And so he said, right on, the, right on the news, it said, Mike Caruso flips him like pancakes. That's what Haywood <laughs> They they did a big story on the match. We used to only fit, this is funny, Grace Hall seated 2,800. And we get like 3,200 in. And every time they put that in paper, the fire commissioner would call the paper and say, stop putting that in. You're not supposed to have 3,200 people in Grace Hall. So what happened is my senior year, wrestling was so popular that the floor above, where the Carissa Wrestling Complex is now, above Grace Hall, what they did is they created a separate area and they did the film, like live film upstairs, closed caption, and had wow. another 50 people. So for that match, they had like close to 5,000 people, even though they could only have 3,200. Yeah. Man. That was, that we, and, and that was the year we were in the New York times. We were, wrestling was very, very big. And, and my senior year, 
We beat Iowa State, but Iowa State was ranked number one. We beat them in Grace Hall. And for one week, we could say for one week, we were the number one team in the country. And I think then somebody beat, somebody in Michigan State became number one or something. But we were always in the top four or five then. And for a little school like Lehigh, that was always a big deal. So uh, the media, uh, you have to understand Bethlehem with wrestling at Lehigh, um, especially then, but even now. You walk down the street, everybody knew who you were. I went and got a haircut. I went and pulled out a dollar. No, you can't pay. You're Mike Caruso. You went in to get something to eat. Somebody come over. All the bill was comped. You were truly, it was like Hollywood. You were stars then if you wrestled. And I'm not even saying just me, natural champion. You were just a regular 67-pounder, 77-pounder. People knew who you were. And um, I remember going to 2 o'clock class. We wrestled in Oklahoma my senior year. I remember going to class that started snow. I had 2 o'clock class. The match was at 7. I'm walking down my class. I look. In the snow, there's a line outside of Grace Hall waiting for tickets. They waited five hours. Whoa. If you had season tickets, people would leave season tickets in their wills if they died. They, <laughs> and that's how big it was. Now, Coach Lehman used to say, the world's changed now. There's, but back then, what else could you do on a Saturday night? There was no internet. You know, television had three stations. Best thing you could do is go to a wrestling match. That is just amazing. And what a great way to sign off with this. I mean, I, I just can't even imagine the energy, the atmosphere and how yeah. exciting it must be. And for someone like me, who's grown up, you know, well after your time, Lehigh's always been a, a top program, but it, it was cool to learn that it kind of all started during this era that you're talking about when they were competing yeah. against the big state schools. Always. Yeah, it, it was, I'm going back. You're making me relive it. And, uh, my heart's beating a little bit too. <laughs> well, the uh, the gentleman who wrote this article about the the Navy match, you made such an impression on him that he claims you were carried out to the mat in a cage. Uh, and everyone in the comment section said it's not true. But um... and the entire article, and that's the only part that was hyperbole. The rest wrote, <laughs> but the cage was not there. <laughs> Man, what a. Uh... What a story, though. Um, and Mike Caruso, I just want to thank you for for coming on here and for Pets and Toro for, for making this happen. Uh, Mike, thank you so much for your time, sir. It's been an honor and a privilege, and I hope you have a, a great day, sir. It was a tremendous enjoyment to relive some wonderful moments. Thank you, Rock. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wrestling Changed My Life. This episode was presented by Quant Wrestling. Quant provides detailed analytics on the great sport of wrestling, Download the Quant app now in the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. The first two weeks are free, but if you use the discount code WCML, you'll get an additional two weeks free. That's Quant, Q-U-A-N-T, available in both the Apple App Store and Google Play Store. Quant Wrestling, a proud sponsor of Wrestling Changed My Life.